Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. That's Hebrews chapter 2, 10 through 18. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy them who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and frees those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Great. Thank you. That's a affirmation of Jesus' human nature, especially, which is what we will be looking at. Our text is from Hebrews 13, verse 8, which after the letter of Hebrews has spoken many things about who Jesus is and, and what we believe in regard to who Jesus is, uh, it says in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A very, a very striking, a very central faith statement as we too confess the Lord Jesus yesterday, today, and forever, the Lord and Savior of all. People of God, we come together in worship this evening uh, recognizing our place in the world in confessing the truth of all that God has done and continues to do. That's the call on our lives, to take God's truth through his word and to be that presence of God of salvation to the world, to express it clearly. And at the very center is Jesus Christ. And so we have the cross. We have that assurance too, that his coming, his work, his death, his resurrection, that's the very center and so it is also the center of the confession, our world belongs to God. And just like in the Apostles' Creed, if you think of the Creed, there's two lines, the Father, then the largest section is all that Jesus has done. He, bore, he was born, he died, he rose, he ascended. It's, that's the center. That's the key aspect of witness. And so the contemporary testimony also, in, in an effort to speak that truth to the modern world, declares Jesus as the same yesterday, today, and forever. How do we 
bring that message clearly to our world is really the question again. And we've looked at different aspects of our faith and how we do that. And so this as most central, this as how do we make this truth, Jesus, aware to a world that, that doesn't know, that is against that basic truth. The first, the first area is in relation to who Jesus is and comes into view in relation to his birth. And so at that point, at Christmas time, the contemporary testimony begins there. I didn't quote all the passages. It has, it has quite a number of stanzas in relation to who Jesus is. It begins like we generally do with his birth. And it states very plainly, very clearly, that in fulfillment to God's promises, in fulfillment to his eternal word, he is the long-awaited Messiah. He is one with God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary. So this is the statement, the contemporary statement of faith. It's simply laying out what we believe at that initial level. Who was Jesus and what does the world need to know? Now, the, the question arises, and in my ministry through the years, in terms of who Jesus is, around, around Christmas time, the, the hesitancy people feel, if you, if you try to reach out to people at that time and you try to share with them too, that this, this Christmas stuff and this Jesus stuff, this is, this is Jesus, the Son of God, comes into the world, born of a virgin, to be our Savior. And, and I'm not sure if you found it, I found it, that that, that if, you, if you emphasize, as the contemporary testimony does, as the Apostles' Creed does, the Nicene Creed, all the creeds, that he was born of a virgin. And it's in all the carols. But, but people, people hesitate, and they, they don't want that emphasized. Not sure if you've noticed that. They, they hesitate there. They know biology. They know science. There's no such thing as a virgin birth. And so almost as if, couldn't you just leave that out? Couldn't you just leave that out? And then it would maybe be a little easier to accept. And so for the contemporary testimony too, you might think, well, if we wrote a contemporary testimony and and we're trying to reach the world, and we would just, what if we just leave that out? Right? Wouldn't that maybe help? And the answer is, no, it wouldn't. The point of the biblical expression of Jesus born of a virgin isn't, isn't any kind of of biological scientific statement, it's it's central to this being a work of God, this being a, a saving intervention of God. 
And so that Jesus, who is that, that long-awaited Messiah, the one and only come from the Father, and the fact that he is born of a virgin is, is, some, is a detail that gives us opportunity to explain to people, yeah, this is someone very special. This is someone who is like us, but is also the Son of God. And so it's not a minor detail that we could take or leave and, and maybe we could just leave it out and that would be okay. It's, it's beginning to, in presenting who Jesus is, to clarify that he is truly the Son of God. It's, it's vital in moving us to that point that we have to make as we go along. So... It is, it is something we hold to and we need to hold to. It's part of the confessions of old. It's part of the contemporary testimony because it's central to Jesus as the one come from God who is true God. And that is where our hope lies. So that reality continues to be confessed and we need to confess it. And at Christmas time, when, when we talk about it, sing about it, preach about it, talk to others about it, that's what we can bring with good confidence. There's other things about who Jesus is that get challenged in our culture. The next thing that comes along, people, if they, if they consider too, Jesus was born and then but now the discussion in our very scholarly culture, and if you look into, too, some of the discussions about theological things, religious things, they have the question, uh, looking for the historical Jesus. I'm not sure if you've heard that, but looking, yeah. Can we find the historical Jesus? Was Jesus actually a living, breathing, walking person, or is he kind of a mythical figure? And people just kind of put stuff together and kind of put some, some details together around someone that, that maybe was, yeah, somewhat special as a person, but, but it kind of blew up into an exaggerated kind of story about somebody who maybe did a few things, said a few things, but, and then even maybe not. And so was he truly an actual living person? And did he actually say all the things written in the gospel about him? And so the, just several years ago, there was a, a, a whole scholarly group of people who sat around a big table and they took every statement out of the, the red letter Bible, what Jesus had actually said. And he took every line and every statement and each of them had a number of tokens of different colors. And, and, and clearly, uh, for them to say, yes, this is actually something Jesus, the living, actual person, said was one color. And then if they weren't really sure, if maybe, maybe it was just somebody like Luke or Matthew kind of brought something in, but Jesus didn't actually say it. And there was a whole scholarly argument, and there was a whole range of, of how sure can we be that Jesus actually said what he said. And after all these guys, uh, and there was a whole range of, of believing and, and less than believing people, 
And most of what Jesus said in the Bible was thrown out. With all kinds of reasons in terms of, well, that, that couldn't be culturally accurate and, and within that, that situation, yeah. He would, and somebody else had said that earlier and it wasn't really Jesus saying it for the first time. And they had all kinds of things and all kinds of... And, and the overall scholarly point was that, yeah, the Bible plagiarized things and the stories of miracles, they, they were really things that, that people had misunderstood and Jesus was more a Jewish rebel than a Messiah and everything, everything was undercut. And now what do we say? You hear this, right? And you, you get this kind of pressure on the other side. And then, then you wonder, what can you say? Even, even just as we come and we read the Bible and we recognize it as very historically accurate in every way, and, and yet you get this kind of response, right? That we can't even trust the words that we have before us. So, so in response to that, the contemporary testimony itself quotes here, and we quoted it together, in terms of his baptism, his temptations, his teaching, his miracles, his battles with demons, we confess that Jesus lived a full and righteous human life before us. He said all those things, and he did all those things. No question about it. And on the other side, like these guys can sit around their big table and, and work with their colored tokens. But I mean, there is, there is unbelievably solid sound evidence just historically that Jesus lived when he lived, that he went where he went. Everything he said fits into the cultural context. You can see it in many, many ways. And we can simply respond and say, hey, wait a minute. At a scholarly level that's equal to any other scholarship, this record of who Jesus is and what he said and what he did is true. And that continues to be our witness. And if you read a book like Lee Strobel, who was a correspondent and, and, and legal analyst, and, and he took the evidence, and if, if the evidence was presented in court, it would be proved 100%, even the resurrection. And so, so we have to be strong. We have to recognize and understand that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can with confidence declare we know, trust, are assured that he is the Savior sent from the Father. So that's the contemporary testimony. Speaking a word of confidence into a world that tends to just raise questions and uncertainties. You also have, uh, in terms of confessing who Jesus is, the reality that he rose from the dead. And that is definitely an area that is questioned. Even around uh, the cross, contemporary testimony uh, declares the, the reality of Jesus' death on the cross and that God raised him from the dead. It adds that he walked out of the grave. So it's very clearly stating the truth of Easter. That is what we confess in our contemporary world. Well, 
Well, that's, that's difficult in our culture because that just doesn't happen. And so there again, with people's experience, they, they wonder, they're uncertain, they, they question that reality. And so maybe, maybe we should tone it down a little bit. Maybe we shouldn't, shouldn't be so certain about that. What do we do? The message remains the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And so the, the contemporary testimony too doesn't hesitate to declare the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that though no one else has risen from the dead. No one else. That's exactly why we need Jesus. Because he is the only one. And our only hope of resurrection is in him. So instead of thinking, well, yeah, that's, that's unusual, so it didn't happen. Our response is, well, it is unusual, absolutely. But that it happened is our hope and our joy and our confidence. And so in a world that rejects these things, that we want to confess that truth. And so in Hebrews 2 as well, it continues to, to declare that in terms of who Jesus was, that in his death he broke the power of death and that he set us free from slavery and that as he rose to life, so we all are living in him. So that, that confession continues to be very clearly part of our witness to this world. And finally, uh, stanza 26, we, we read that together too. And it responds to one of the, the great challenges of our day as well, the sense of there is no other Savior. There is no other Savior. And in fact, in uh, the contemporary testimony, uh, 26, it says it twice. Being both divine and human, Jesus is the only mediator. He alone paid for our sins almost three times. There is no other Savior. And what, what do we hear back when we say that? You are being intolerant, right? Yeah. You're being intolerant. We have to be tolerant of each other. You can't say things like that. So what are we supposed to do? They're tone it down. Except that Jesus is the only Savior. So what about all the other religions? What about people who are trying to be and who are actually remarkably kind and good and gracious? What about people who never heard or never clearly understood the gospel? And, and then the claim that Jesus is the only Savior gets, gets a negative reaction. Isn't there other ways of saving or finding our way or, or making, making our way to heaven somehow. Acts 4 verse 12 is the underlying, uh, when, when the apostles first go forward preaching the gospel and salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Acts 4, verse 12. And that's the same yesterday and today 
and forever. And that's our confession through the contemporary testimony too. So, so what do we say? What do we say to good people who are just living down the street from us? I'm sure you have them. I have them too. Very good people just living down the street from me. And yeah, they are sending money to help poor people in Africa. Beautiful. And they're volunteering in town. All kinds of stuff. Just doing great work. And they're part of the rotary. And they're doing great stuff. Hey? And you're thinking, man, these are excellent people. If anybody's go to heaven, these folks should. No doubt about it. And then our efforts to bring Jesus into a conversation with them, they, they are very polite. And, and you say to them, you know, really, really our hope is in Jesus. And what do they say? They are very tolerant. They say, oh, that's nice for you. You go ahead and believe that. And, and, and they'll even say, I will defend your right to believe that and to say that. Because we are a free society and we can say things. So they are, they are very tolerant. And they will defend my right to say to them, you need to believe in Jesus. But they don't feel that that's really necessary for them. That somehow they are making their way by being good. What do we do? We present our testimony humbly, sincerely, clearly, and then we trust that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will soften people's hearts, and the Holy Spirit does. And so, so you can expect some people to respond. Some don't. Some don't. Some don't right away. Some may later on. Some may respond right away. You continue to present because we believe Jesus by the Spirit continues to work in people's hearts, opening blind eyes to the truth of the gospel. And our call is simply to present that truth in a good, sincere, clear way. And that's what the contemporary testimony tries to do. It just tries to express it clearly in a way that people could understand and by the Spirit that hearts and lives would be changed. In relation to those who have never heard the gospel, that used to be in, in, in our thinking, well, everybody's heard the gospel, but... That's, that's more and more common now, right? There are people who have no idea. Kids who have been raised, uh, teenagers and, and people in their 20s and 30s who they don't know at all. So our, our call to tell the story, to explain the story, is more prominent now than before that we continue to work to share the gospel with this world instead of pulling back and not sharing as much because it's we're being intolerant. There's more of a need. And then always now, as we learn more about other world religions, what do we do there? All the other world religions, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, the contemporary testimony addresses them when it, when it says that, that they are groping after God. So we can see that in all these other world religions, that, that there is 
that, that hunger in people. And so seeing that, we can come alongside in those situations and say, okay, you are looking for something, but this, this is God's true revelation. And then especially there, especially in those contexts where the Christian faith is one of grace, and that's Hebrews 2 as well, where it speaks about, too, that Jesus, Jesus comes uh, expressing that grace of God. Uh, sorry, Hebrews 4, the call to worship, that we might receive mercy and find grace. And if, if you're looking in, in, in the majority of the world's religions, you don't find mercy and you don't find grace. You better earn it. And people are struggling hard and, and they're not finding. And so we can come with just a message, the contemporary testimony simply expressing in Jesus Christ, the grace of God is given to you. What a message for all those world religions, all those people who are, who are trying to earn it and, and fighting and, and just lost in a very hopeless helpless situation our witness to god's grace in jesus christ is more central than ever it never gets old and jesus continues to live today to be active in us and through us so we can continue to be witnesses by the spirit he he prepares people as we go forward and we can trust in him and he will surprise us even as people respond Hebrews 2, verse 10. Jesus is still the Savior, bringing many. That's his work, his purpose, his mission. Hebrews 2, verse 11. He is making sinners holy. holy. Only Jesus can do that. Hebrews 2, 12. He is making them part of his family and the church family. And that's, that's what we're doing. We're inviting people to be part of that family of God. So our witness continues to be Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Witness 